You're listening to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. Welcome to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler. This is a podcast for cultivating Christian boldness, something we need a lot of right now because it's very shaky time in our country. I hope you're doing all right. I've, you know, my days are up and down between uh, feeling invigorated and emboldened in my faith and calling, no matter what the cost. And other times I'm anxious and worried and, um, you know, it's it, that's the battle of faith. Uh, today, though, we have a very important episode because as I analyze um, what's going on in our culture, in our country, and as I pray about it, as I learn different things, there is a very serious undergirding issue that I see happening in our country. And today we're going to be hearing a real-life story of exactly uh, what I'm talking about. So I had this image as I was thinking about this podcast uh, of a tree. Sometimes we see these magnificent old trees. They, They look so strong and beautiful, and one day they fall over and you discover that they were rotted on the inside. And I think that there is a rot on the inside of our country that we have not really known, um, or we have, yeah, we we haven't really accepted it as a reality, um, and it is it is now starting to show up in the leaves and the branches of this tree. And I I don't believe it's too late though. I believe it's time to deal with this darkness, this rot, this issue. One of the things is that the entertainment industry we we have embraced what they have fed us. Um, we have embraced what we use what we would call pornography we call it um i would call it soft porn uh most of what we see in hollywood most movies coming out of hollywood have at least soft porn in them um that sounds ridiculous to some people but not to me i grew up in a um conservative christian homeschool family uh which many people in that situation were exposed to pornography and, and even their parents or their dad was involved in it. I'm not saying anything like being from a home like that it makes you isolated or or protected. What what helped me growing up was that my dad was a man of integrity. He talked to me about um, issues of sexuality. He talked to me about temptation. He was honest about his own um, struggle. And by that I don't mean a lot of times when we say struggle, we we seem to uh, assume that someone means they have a habit of maybe using pornography. When I say struggle, my dad was honest about like, you know, this is tempting to me. That's why I turn it off, or that's why I walk away, or that's why I turn my head. You know, and he set that example for me. And that is the exception in today's age, that my dad was weird. <laughs> he was not normal when it came to that way. But it was so, uh, it, it's what made me trust him so much. Um, I've tried to live that way myself. Um, and I, but as far as the culture goes, we've absorbed and accepted so much um, hypersexuality. And, uh, you know, but we don't, we don't think of that as being so bad. We, we think of that as being like normal. Well, I'm human. Um, I know many people have said they, they were just, they didn't really expect to meet a guy who was a virgin when he got married. They, they don't expect to see that. So we just kind of accepted sexual immorality as a thing. It's just it's just what we expect, and that is a problem. Um, but at deeper 
levels of our life, our community, our national life, sexual perversion is a rank sickness that is eating away at, at the very fabric of our society, at the, even at the fabric of our democracy. I am one of those people that thoroughly believe that this previous election was not an election. It was an appointment by powerful people who they wanted to be president. It had nothing to do with whether or not we wanted uh, Joe Biden to be president. And one of the reasons they were able to pull this off was because of blackmail tied to sexual things done in the night, in dark places, in secret places that are not just sexual, they're also satanic. And if you think I'm going too far, just wait till you hear today's story, because I believe it will bear me out. An interesting fact about sexuality is that throughout um, the Old Testament, as the Israelites are being called out of the other nations to worship the one true God. They're constantly tempted to go worship other gods. Um, a lot of that is very political stuff. They want to compromise. They want to uh, make friends with their neighbors rather than being afraid of them attacking. Like, well, if we, if we worship their God, if we share in some of their practices, if we intermarry with them, maybe they won't hurt us. And their temptation was to trust in uh, their neighbor's strength and in, in their God rather than trusting that the one true God is going to preserve them because of what he promised to do through them, which is to make all the world right again. And whenever they were tempted into this uh, idolatry, it almost always came with a form of sexuality. To this day, many um, pagan nations, many many uh, pagan temples um, use sexual, sexual acts as part of their worship. Nothing has changed in the world. The only thing that's changed in the world, human nature hasn't changed, worship hasn't changed, Sa Satanism is alive and well in the United States of America, including sexual acts of worship. Nothing has changed in this world except for the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. That's still the difference maker today. And we're going to hear this story today from my friend Mark. He's vague on some of the particular details on purpose because what he's going to be talking about is very dangerous for him to talk about. And when you hear me say that and you hear his story, think about the fact that there's been massive corruption in our country and people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to do anything about it for the exact same reason. Blackmail and threats. It's a very legit, very real issue, and I hope after today's episode you will be convinced of this. And I'm going to propose what I think our country needs at the backside of this episode. So um, sit back, buckle up, because this is going to be an intense ride. Um, and, and as the story goes on, it gets more intense. Many times uh, people doubt things like miracles, uh, what we call miracles, happen today or casting out of demons. A lot of times people um, explain away Jesus is casting out of demons as saying, well, they didn't understand what epilepsy was or something like that. Well, I think you'll have another perspective today, um, as, as Mark shares, about a real exorcism taking place in his own life. So we're going to see that. Uh, I want you to know this was recorded live, um, and so in the background you'll hear some some noises, and don't be afraid because, I mean, some of this stuff is very serious, and it sounds like there are kids in the background, 
there were kids in another room. They're farther away than they sound, and they weren't um, they weren't listening in on this. Uh, there's a little baby in the room who didn't know what was going on. She bangs on things every now and then. So just so you know, we were conscious of the kids and what they were hearing. Um, not that I don't think we should ever talk about these things with kids, but we should be thoughtful about the way that we do. So I just wanted you to know that, but I also rated this episode as being explicit just because um, we're just talking about what's going on, and we're talking about it in real terms, which I think, honestly, we need more of that. But just for warning's sake, I thought I would rate it that way. All right, without further ado, we're going to listen first to a story of Jesus casting out a demon, because it's going to sound very familiar at the end of this story. Jesus, Peter, James, and John made their way back to the other disciples. There they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and legal experts arguing with them. As soon as the crowd saw Jesus, they were astounded, and they all ran up to greet him. What's all the fuss about, he asked. Teacher, said someone from the crowd, I brought my son to you. He's got a spirit that stops him speaking. Whenever it takes hold of him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and goes stiff. I spoke to your disciples about casting it out, but they couldn't do it. You unbelieving generation, replied Jesus. How much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. He brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. How long has it been like this with him, asked Jesus. Since childhood, replied the man. Often it even throws him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, please, please help us. Have pity on us. What do you mean, if I can, said Jesus? Everything is possible to someone who believes. At this, the father gave a great shout. I do believe, he roared. Help me in my unbelief. Jesus saw the crowd was getting bigger by the minute. He scolded the unclean spirit. Speechless and deaf spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never go back again. The spirit yelled, gave the boy a huge convulsion, and came out. The boy seemed to be dead. In fact, several people did say he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Why couldn't we cast it out, asked his disciples once they were back in the house by themselves. This sort, replied Jesus, can only be cast out by prayer. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, the New Testament for everyone. Well, Richard Wormbrand, when he was in communist prisons, was being tortured. There were like guards all around him, and he said their faces were like elated, kind of intoxicated with their own power mm-hmm. as they tortured him. He said they were screaming, we are the devil. And he said he realized that they had made no room for God in their hearts, and he would make no room for Satan in his. Mm-hmm. And I've just always loved that, mm-hmm. like... That's just like we don't need gray areas. Exactly. You're done. It's yeah. compromise. Yeah. Your testimony is important to us for a number of reasons. One, because we love you. And I think we can appreciate your story more now than we did before. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, I believe that we are facing what you went through on a national scale and, and a size that, or global scale, mm-hmm. um, that I don't think we're. We are capable of taking in, but we need to be because I believe we're going to have to mm-hmm. take it in. Um, I think for far too long we've had preaching that has done everything but get near the issue. 
mm-hmm. your story I think highlights where the issue really is. It's a, it's a bit of a freak story, but now we're realizing mm-hmm. it's a bit of a common story, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it is a freaky story. And some of my, you know, conversations with God, I, I, you know, will say, you know, I feel like one of the toys on the island of misfit toys. I'll just, I'll tell you what, I'll just, I'm going to tell my story as it evolved and as I became aware of certain things. Uh, because a lot of the revelations about what was done to me as a child did not come forward till much later in life and certainly did not come forward uh, until God started drawing me and then bringing me to a place of conversion and you know continual healing and that kind of stuff. So anyway, so I kind of give her that little that little preface. I'm the third of three children. My parents were both not yet 24 by the time they had had me. So, you know, young parents getting married young. So kids raising kids. You know, my first memory is being pushed down a flight of stairs by my brother. I was was somewhere between two and three years old, and I was strapped into my training potty. So I don't know if you remember this, but they used to strap kids into training potties when they wanted them to. (laughs) They didn't just let them do it on their own. Yeah, they'd strap you in. My older brother coaxed me out of the upstairs bathroom you know, and I'm somewhere between two and three, and I remember this. And I have my training potty strapped onto me, and he pushed me down a flight of stairs. Um, he would have not even been six years old at that time. If anything, it just tells me, you know, what his life was like. But but that was my first memory. I didn't have a good uh, home life with my mother and father and brother and sister. Uh, my father's very, uh, very just... Um, terrorizing a rage or or you know getting the belt out and whipping you or whatever we all just lived basically in fear that was his you know means of control thank goodness I had my mother's side of the family there were some my mother's mother and my great aunts and aunt and stuff they were uh, very good people Um, church going people they worked at the church that's basically you know that's what they did for a living I felt safe with them you know and which is not uncommon for children, you know, who are abused, to typically feel safe around, a particular, sometimes little boys will feel safe around women. So that was kind of the case in my life. So when adolescence hit, I, you know, realized that I was attracted to members of the same sex. You know, certainly I didn't want that. You know, this was back in, the, I was, you know, born in the 60s. So this would have been, whatever, late 70s. And <clears throat> that's not anything I wanted. And so I basically tried to hold that off you know, for the most part. Uh, did love a girl in high school and kind of chased her around. It was kind of pathetic. I chased her for years and years, and she didn't love me. <laughs> I look back on it now, and I'm like, oh, for goodness <laughs> sakes. You know, <laughs> that was kind of pathetic. But anyway, thank God I don't do that anymore. You know, I graduate from high school. I go off to college. I remember very distinctly my girlfriend in college, you know, we'd drink beer and maybe smoke some pot or something, and we had sex and that kind of stuff. And I remember praying and asking uh, God to forgive my sins, but never having any intention to stop. Hmm. And I remember very distinctly telling God, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I keep praying and asking for forgiveness for sins, and uh, I have no intention of stopping what I'm doing. So I'm just going to stop praying. I think that was probably sometime maybe my sophomore uh, year in college, I think. 
Got through college, worked for a couple of years, went back to graduate school. And when I was in graduate school is when I had sexual relations with a male as an adult, not as a teenager, you know, messing around with a friend and certain, you know. And that just opened a door. It felt very natural. You know what I mean? It felt comfortable. It didn't feel like I was trying to make something happen. And it felt, uh, it felt comfortable. Once that door was opened, it was always um, compulsive and addictive. And now that could take various forms. It could be, you know, whether you're in a relationship or not in a relationship. You know what I mean? The addiction is still there. That's basically the way sexual addiction works. It doesn't matter. You can be sexually addicted, be in a monogamous relationship, you know, and, and not be healed and, you know, transformed and that type of stuff. So... I got into that lifestyle. I graduated from, got out of graduate school, moved down to Miami, and I remember it was to take a job. I got a job, and I remember uh, thinking to myself, I mean, talk about falling off the turnip truck. I mean, I, I thought, okay, well, Miami's a bigger city. They're bound to be more gay people. You know what I mean? Little, I had no idea about South Beach. I had no idea about, you know, that whole kind of life and community down there. What is South Beach? It's just South like Beach, anything goes. South Mi- well, it's South Miami Beach. It's kind of like New York City on the beach. Hmm. And so it had a big uh, big gay community hmm. and a lot of partying. I mean, it's very different now. And that's, that element is still there. But now it's very much more commercialized. You know, very high-end hotels and things like that. Much more commercialized when I, than when I was there. Anyway, I got further into uh, the lifestyle when I was there. Started... You know, using some drugs. I can't say I, was, I wasn't addicted to drugs per se. It was the sex. Decided I didn't want to stay with that employer. Got a job and moved, you know, eastern seaboard kind of area to a large city. Finally, I remember finding kind of a group of friends. And so for the first time in my life, I felt very accepted. You know what I mean? With, with like people, you know? And for the first time in my life, I felt very accepted. I felt loved. I had fun. I had friendships, you know, we traveled together. I had, you know, really good jobs, made, you know, good money, had plenty of money to spend and stuff like that, and was in that life. I went to the gym six days a week, running hard, wanting to be whatever at work, and basically trying to be perfect, which is understandable, you know, given um, coming out of a home with no real love. And then, of course, the abuse and the performance kind of mindset and that type of stuff. So you sought acceptance through your performance. You, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah all my worth and value was basically in my performance, and that was not just in the workplace. You know, as I'll get on, you know, I, I, until later, I mean, I, I was passed around as a child and mm-hmm. as a small child. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you perform, you know, and God's kind of revealed this over time, you know, you perform sexually to survive. And I was not, wasn't raised in a poor family. You know, we went to the country club. We went to the big United Methodist Church. I have a great education. Two two very, very great schools. Mm. We were not rich people, but I was not raised in poverty. Somewhere along the way, you know, God started breaking into my life. And, you know, I'm not celebrating my past, but the first time he did, I was on drugs. You know, if I'm going to tell this story, I'm not advocating that anybody go try and do this. So please don't do that if you're listening. I'd whatever, taking my hit of ecstasy, and I was out there dancing, whatever, you know. And I had my eyes closed. And I opened up my eyes, and everybody had an R 
an aura around them. And it wasn't that. I mean, I think a lot of people have probably done drugs and seen something like that. It was the revelation that came with it. And I said, oh my God, we're all the same. We're all spiritual beings. And I grew up going to church every Sunday. And I did not learn much. But I was there every Sunday. And I, I like going to church. I like Sunday school. I like church. I was an acolyte. Um, you know, so... Um, but I did not know that we were spiritual beings. Can you imagine how in the world do you get out of church? Get out of church, you know, going every Sunday, you know, for 18, 19 years growing up and not know that you're a spiritual being out of a Christian church. That's just kind of, it so opened my eyes that I, I, I came back, you know, to where I was living and I started going to church. Now, it was a gay-friendly church. And at the same time, I started going to a church of religious science. Kind of like, you know, my friends and I, we call it the feel-good church. But anyway, I split my time between Christian church that was very liberal and, you know, the Church of Religious Science. And quite frankly, I didn't know the difference that much. I look back on it now, and I can tell you that when I was in that Christian church, I recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit now, even if it's just a very peaceful place. You know, the Holy Spirit... You know, and you walk into somewhere like that, a church that's been used as a church for decades and decades, there's a, you know, can be a peacefulness about it. You mean even if the doctrine or the preaching or whatever even, is wrong, you sometimes there's still like a oh, there's a residue. A, there's a residue, yeah. and hymns were sung. Mm. So I was kind of doing the, the back and forth between Christianity and New Age. Quite frankly, I was so une- uneducated, I didn't know the difference. I'm not lying to you. I didn't know the difference at all. In 2001, I decided that I was going to tithe to the church that I was going to. And it was not out of any sense of obligation. It was not, you know, pressed down, shaken, spilling over, whatever. It was none of that. I had never even heard that in the Bible before. It was, I made good money. That's one thing. I had it to spare. And I... um like the ministries of the church. They help homeless people, uh, folks own drugs. They had recovery programs. Um, they had a ministry to folks in prostitution. Um, and so I was, you know, I started tithing. And it's very interesting because you start tithing and you watch the Lord move, but at the same time, if you're being pulled in two directions, the other side's going to pull very hard. The darkness as God's power and his intervention began to increase. The darkness was pulling every bit as much. I, at that time, I worked for a credit card firm. And I ran a section of marketing for them. And we uh, marketed cons- to consumers who had less than perfect credit. Wasn't bad credit. Wasn't great credit. At that time, I, really didn't say, I didn't really have a problem with that. But I'm getting ready for work one morning. This is so far back that Katie Kirk was still on the Today Show. I'm laying out my clothes, getting ready getting ready to jump in the shower. And the Lord spoke to me out of nowhere. And it was absolutely inconsistent with anything that was currently in my mind. And I didn't hear the audible voice. I wasn't hearing voices. But the words come in my spirit and my mind out of nowhere, and it was this. And this is how you know it's the Lord's voice. Because I don't talk in this type of English. I mean, you can hear how I talk. I'm a Southerner. And he said, thou shalt not profit when a man stumbles. 
The Lord himself spoke that to me. Thou shalt not profit when a man stumbles. You don't take advantage of people, people when they're in a bad situation. Well, this company was um, had already made the decision to go into deep subprime credit. Now, this is credit cards with an effective APR of two or three hundred percent. That's not the actual nineteen percent. The effective APR when you add the fees and all that in, two or three hundred percent. Bought a chain of payday lending stores, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I really didn't know kind of what they were doing there. I was just kind of out. You know, I, I was not really... You're just an employee. I was not... Well, you know, I was just an employee, but, you know, I I ran half of marketing. You know what I mean? So I just didn't was not aware that that was their intention. Put it this way. I wasn't in the inner circle. Praise God. You know, as much as I wanted to be accepted, uh, he was intervening before... Well, before, no, well, before I could be drawn in. You know what I mean? To put a stop to that because you cannot enter into an inner circle of human power for the most part without compromising yourself. And um, who is it? C.S. Lewis says that. Mm -hmm. Says that the inner circle of human power is always corrupt and always corrupting. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't long after that. Um, There were some other things that happened, but, you know, around the 1st of June that year, I went to... um, I went to an AA meeting with a friend of mine. I was, I don't have a drinking problem, but I was there just to support him. And I sat there and I said, you know, I think homosexuality is some type of addiction. You, I'm attracted to some type of strength or masculinity I perceive I don't have. But every time I reach out to get what I think I'm missing, I don't get what I'm after. I just keep giving away what I have. Oh, my God, I keep doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different outcome. The 12-step definition of insanity. And that was a revelation. I could not have come up with that. Now, God had led me to pieces and parts of that. But right there, you know what I mean, in that AA meeting, where at least they're believing in a higher power, you know, God brings that revelation to me. And then two days later, you know, uh, I, I basically, you know, pretty much have my hell experience is what I call it. Um, when your reality shifts on you, but you only know a piece or part of the reality, it's unpleasant. In other words, with regard to the gospel, I knew the bad news before the, the good news. Does that make sense? Um, a couple of days after that, I'm sitting in my office, and a friend of mine who worked there with me, I went to his office. I was troubled. I was at my desk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Who is Jesus? He's either the Son of God or the most enlightened man in the world. And I go into my friend's office, and I say, you know, so-and-so, um, I don't know who Jesus is. He's either Son of God or the most enlightened man in the world. And my friend goes, oh, he's the Son of God. And I said, you know, I think I believe that too. That's when, That's when basically a couple of days later, Again, I'm sitting in my office, and I'm going, okay, well, if Jesus is who he says he is, and I really believed that then. I didn't doubt it. And all it took was your friend saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, God God. had already been working on me, you know, and I was raised to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It's just that it had not been personal to me, Uh and it didn't have meaning, because I didn't know the gospel. I did not even know that Jesus died for my sins. What I knew at that time was there's God, Jesus, the devil— Heaven and hell, 
bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven. I mean, that's Islam, for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? Less the Jesus picture. And Holy Ghost, the only time we mentioned him was if we were, you know, reciting the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or whatever, Mm. which I don't have a problem with those. I like the Apostles' Creed. You know, I kind of line up with that. So I'm sitting in my office, and I go, if Jesus is who he says he is, that means there's a hell. Oh, my God. What have I done? Which, by the way, is a very biblical response. There are multiple places in the Bible where people literally say, oh, my God, what have I done? And that it's a godly response that the Holy Ghost brings you to when you realize what you've done. And the fear of God sets in. And I mean the fear. It's not awe and wonder. You know, it's the, it's the you know, it's a serious, you're, and, you know, but I was afraid of punishment. You know, I mean, you got to understand the way I was raised. Yeah. My reality just fell apart. Everything fell apart in two days. You could call it a nervous breakdown. You could call it a whatever you know, I, I remember a, a counselor trying to say, you know, well, you may have had a psychotic break. And I was like, uh, no, I didn't lose touch with reality. I mm. came in touch with it. Right. right. And it was very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? My reality at that time was very unpleasant. And it was based on what I knew of God, especially mm. God the Father. I think that's why this is, this is so important right now, is that America and the world... It needs to get in touch with reality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's exactly what's mm-hmm. going on right now mm-hmm. is I call it a battle for reality. Mm-hmm. Whose reality is going to reign supreme? Mm-hmm. Well, we know that God's is because he's God. Mm-hmm. And reality will, you know, people will be woken up from their delusions. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so my I was there in the gay world on Friday. I was gone on Monday. I was gone. I was gone. I mean, but that's a very traumatic break mm-hmm. from that. I mean, it is awful. So it left me with severe PTSD. You know what I mean? It brought up PTSD and stuff that was there that I didn't even know was there. So I go on, you know, I go on my journey, you know, trying to heal from all of that and all this kind of stuff. It was a long, arduous journey. You know what I mean? And I lived in fear for years. And I'll even tell you how a lot of that got, you know, brought out of that. But let's just fast forward. That was 2001. Fast forward to 2012. Um, A lot had happened in between then or whatever. I'd moved up to D.C. to work for a couple of years, you know, moved back to where I was working uh, or living before. And um, I remember... And I had not, you know, dated any men or anything like that. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, what they tell an, a, an alcoholic is, I don't know that they're going to tell somebody who's, you know, addicted to crystal meth this, but um, they tend tell an alcoholic who hasn't hit rock bottom to go out and do a little bit more research. I mean, that's kind of the way they put it. And so I was like, you know, I know I'm not going to do this, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do a little bit more research. So I went on a couple of dates with with men, and I didn't want to be there. I was just literally trying to do some research. I was like, for gosh, you know, I'll just say it for God's sake. You know, I left that life when I was 35, like 11 years later, and I'm like, and I'm speaking to people my age. Yes, you know, so I've aged. I'm speaking to people my age. I'm like, 
it's the same crap. They haven't really gotten anywhere. They have not gotten anywhere. It's the same stuff. They're just older. And so that was my research. That's all I needed. And I remember in one of my conversations with God, I was just so furious. You know, God, if you made, and we'll just use, you know, if you made these particular body parts to be used for this purpose, that, by the way, they're not made for, and I, and I made it personal. If you made my blah, blah, blah to be used for blah, 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 you can go straight to hell. And I think I was actually kind of pleased with that. I mean, the pain, just the suffering that I was in mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you know, relationally, all that kind of stuff. But I think I was actually kind of pleased, and this is why. I refused to believe that about God. Mm-hmm. I refused to exchange the truth of God right. for a lie. Yeah. And he was quite pleased with that. Mm-hmm. God can handle. Mm-hmm. As long as you're being honest, you don't have to, have to be disrespectful, like continuously or whatever. But if you're going through something, and he's bringing you through it, mm-hmm. he could handle it. And that's when I was like, you know, I'm done. And so I'd already been on uh, eHarmony once before. I went on eHarmony and um, went on a couple of th- three or four or five dates with different women. And then I uh, scheduled, met my wife on there. Hmm. I remember praying to God and saying, you know, I don't need a harem. I just need one woman who gets me and loves me and vice versa. And, you know, my wife is perfect for me. And at this time, did you consider yourself a Christian? Oh, you, yeah. just, you just talked to God. No, 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 no. I considered myself a Christian, but I was a very unhappy, miserable, um, tormented believer. Hmm. And so I uh, met my wife, and uh, we started dating. And it's funny, um, she had been a missionary for 10 years uh, in Japan. and was a widow with three children, you know, and here I am with my story. Mm-hmm. You did know what you, I mean? Did she know it? Did you know? Listen, I told her very quickly Mm. a lot, you know, most things. You know, some things kind of came out more over time, you know, more, you know, things that you detail in in certain areas. But my wife had no desire, at least initially, to even go on like the third date with me or whatever. She said, okay, well, let's just be friends. She sent me that, you know, the Dear John email. Friend zone. Yeah, friend zone thing. And I was like, well, and she tells me this story, although I don't remember pieces. She has a great memory. I don't. Um, I responded back and say, well, it's my birthday today. Why don't we just go out anyway and have dinner? And so we go out, and we're having I dinner. the birthday card. No, it's it was my, my birthday, birthday tomorrow, too. No, no, no. No it, no, it was my birthday. It was my birthday. And so we went out. We had dinner. And this is back when, you know, you know, I might have a margarita. I was still, I don't really drink anymore. I don't drink anymore. I don't. God had me stop and I was not a drinker but anyway I had a margarita that night where my wife tells me later she goes you were delightful and I was like well sure you know dating was off the table then I could just you know be myself or whatever and then she was like wow I kind of like him and then every time you know I would kind of bring something out I was dealing with a lot of anger and I'll tell you why here in a minute God would say you're not going anywhere don't go anywhere and she was very surrendered to God. She'd been a missionary for 10 years. And so she had a, she has a very intimate relationship, you know, with God. She hears from him pretty frequently. So anyway, 
life, you know, things go on. We get engaged in September 2012. And in December that year, I'm sitting in the house, my house, was not married, and it's on a Saturday, and for whatever reason, I'm like, I think I'm just going to read the Bible some today. And I open it up, and I'm talking to God, and I said, well, let's open it up to Acts. That's always, you know, a fun time when the Holy Ghost shows up. Not that I could personally had a sense of experiencing His presence, because I was so anxiety and fear riddled, but I was just kind of joking with God, and I'm in, I'm reading and Jesus says, you know, so-and-so baptize you in water, I baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And I very quickly, out of nowhere, said, Lord, will you baptize me in the Holy Spirit? I said, Lord, will you baptize me in the Holy Spirit? And this power and energy comes down on me. And I get up, and I walk around my house preaching, obviously, you know, a sermon, and I'm the congregate. I'm the preacher, and I'm the congregate, you know, preaching to myself for 15 minutes. But here's the deal. At the end of it, this was not consistent with my current preaching topic. These words, a full sentence comes in my spirit and mind out of nowhere, and the Lord says, there's a great shaking coming upon the earth. The battle lines are being drawn. The time for political solutions is coming to an end. That was December 2012. We can see as we sit now, you know, and it's January you know, 2021, we can see how a lot of that is, has played out and is playing out. So anyway, so we got married uh, the following April 2013, and I will share this. I don't mind doing this. Uh, one night I could not sleep, and I walked downstairs, and I've never really been a political person. I just, you know, would kind of vote a major election, and only then I might know something about my senator, and I'd vote, obviously, for a presidential candidate. Uh, it was just not a, very, a political person. So I'm walking downstairs, but for some reason, Barack Obama is on my mind. And this is like 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm walking into uh, the family room. I'm going to go lay on the sofa, see if I could sleep there. In my, you know, best, you know, southern redneck accent, you know, talking to God, I'm like, Lord, something ain't right with him. About Obama, Lord, something ain't right with him. And the Lord answered me immediately out of nowhere. Again, it was internal, and the Holy Spirit said, he's not who he seems to be. He's opening the door to a Trojan horse invasion of the U.S., and we can see that now. And people, I think, who are discerning, you know what I mean, whose God had opened their eyes already, and, you know, and they were spiritually discerning, you know, the Holy Ghost was, you know, bringing them into all truth, that's what the Holy Spirit did with me, you know, right then. The uh, interesting thing is that Mike Pence described Joe Biden as a Trojan horse for a progressive agenda. But he, it's like, that that's like old. It's like old news. The Lord was ahead of the game. Yeah. That, that was not a revelation. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so, but I will tell you... Listen, I will tell you this. So that was in April. No, at the end of May, 1st of June, Memorial Day, 2013, around that area. Uh, and this goes into my personal story as well. I was working um, on an event at my church to raise awareness for child sex trafficking. This was the week before the event. So Monday night, I had the darkest dreams all night long. I mean, they were, I mean, sexual things. It was, it was so, I mean, things I hadn't even considered doing or ever done 
And I would get up to go to the bathroom and come back, and the dream would start off would start where it left off. And that was like two times during the night, all night long. I woke up in the morning, and I was, and at the end of the dream, let me tell you this, at the end of the dream, very dark dream, I'm in a car, and my pastor and his wife are in the front, front seat, and I'm in the back seat, and I'm driving away from the darkness. And that is, that's the end of this dream. So I get up, I was really angry at God, you know, in the shower, getting ready for work. Angry uh, because he, he didn't uh, just make the miserable dream. dream. Yeah. Just miserable dream. I'm like, oh God, do I still have to put up with this blankety blank? <laughs> 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 and uh, so I go into work. I'm sitting in there, and a friend sends me a flyer to look at. Um, and it's a flyer about the event that weekend. And sent it to my personal email, and I pull it up and I look at it. And all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit's like, again, this is inside me, not hearing audible voices. It was prophesy, prophesy over the dry bones. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, God help me. Really? I was like, I've had the night from hell. And so I just walk out. I just walk out, leave my desk i got in my car walked out went drove went to my pastor's office it's like 11 o'clock 10 11 o'clock in the morning i walk in there and i'm like you know um i walk in i say so and so i've had the night i've just had the night from blankety blank 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 and he busts out laughing because i had a real have a really great relationship uh, with him and he goes what's going on bud i said well i've just had this night of da 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 and i said now i think the Lord's telling me, the Holy Ghost is telling me to prophesy. And he said, well, you might want to do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do and stop trying <laughs> to control him. Uh. And then so he had a meeting to go to. So I get in my car and I'm sitting there and I'm so exhausted. I feel like my brain's been put through a cheese grater. I'm like, okay, God, just send your Holy Spirit. Have him land on my head like a tongue of fire. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Goodness, because I was cracked open like an egg. You know what I mean? I was just open from a miserable night. I was miserable, and I was willing. And this power just slammed on me. It literally rocked me in my car, and I busted out in tongues. Mm. And I had tried to pray in tongues before, but, you know, if you try to pray in tongues, you know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> You know, it's kind of it's kind of lifeless. Tie you know, the bow tie, untie the bow tie. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of lifeless or whatever. And uh, but this was not lifeless. I mean, this just erupted, and it sounded like another human language. Mm-hmm. It sounded like something. It sounded like something American Indian. You know, like you'd see on TV or something. So I get in my car. This thing goes going on for thirty minutes, and I just drive one exit down. You know, to our house. We'd lived uh, close. Click my clicker to go in the garage, go in the garage, and I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit pulls away. I feel the Holy Spirit pull away. And these words come in my spirit, my mind, out of nowhere. It's time for the children of God to rise up, and the time is near. Hmm. I go back to work, 3 o'clock that afternoon, very same day. Now listen to this. This is how God confirms things. I was working for a credit bureau. I was a consultant for him. And um, 
I had a call with a friend about starting, you know, a startup, and I didn't want to take it at my desk, so I go into the break room. Nobody was in there. And beside the refrigerator, there was a big bookshelf. All the books in it were technology books. So, you know, if you're a technology person, J2, EE, JBoss, C++, all these programming languages, all this kind of stuff that I, quite frankly, I don't, I'm not a technology person, although I work with it a lot. And all the books in the bookshelf were pushed, you know, to the back. They weren't brought forward. They were all pushed flush with the back of the bookshelf. And I'm talking to my friend, and I turn, and I look, and just right at the right eye level, you know, like the Heinz ketchup in the grocery store, there's a paperback book, and it's sitting on the edge of this bookshelf, and it's a small paperback book, and the... um the title of the book is facing upward. Now, I'm talking about half the book is, is hanging off the bookshelf. And the title of the book was Bible Prophecy Handbook. And it was all the different theories about the end times. And God had just told me, it's time for the children of God to rise up, and the time is near. And that book is sitting there. And by the way, you know... The particular group that I was in at this particular credit bureau is very data and analytic driven. I mean, it was, you know, a lot of folks who, for, from, from other countries who were not, may or may not have been believers. Chances were they weren't. Chances were they weren't. I get home, and I'm telling my wife, and this is the same day, I tell my wife, and I'm telling her about, you know, all this experience. And she goes, oh, my goodness. I think we need to read the book of Revelation. So we're sitting in bed. She gets out the book. I mean, you know, gets out the Bible and turn to Revelation. I'm reading the first chapter. The last four words of the first chapter are, the time is near. I kid you not, the word of the Lord came to me. And I mean, when I mean, word of the Lord, the biblical word of the Lord came to me and I had never heard it. Again, that was June 2013. So I uh, was did not want to work where I was working. We were praying hard, didn't know what to do. Felt like God was saying, you know, you need to resign. It was really a, it was a bad situation. You need to resign. I, I had no comfort or peace with credit anymore, getting people into debt. Really, it didn't matter how much debt or how little debt or how much credit they had or didn't have. I just didn't have any peace with it anymore. My wife and I prayed. I got the message to basically take a leap. And my wife was supportive because, you know, she and her first husband, uh, again, she was a widow, uh, had taken a leap and gone in the mission field. It's a big leap. And so I resigned. So big leaps of faith. And that's after that, it wasn't long, maybe a month later, I did my first video testimony. And it's on the web and it's um, for a ministry website. It was very, it wasn't this detail-oriented. And um, after I did that, so again, I'm come, I'm putting, you know, we're taking big leaps of faith, trusting God. It was very difficult for me to do. wasn't as difficult for my wife. She had a history, you know, with God. So I'll tell you this. This is when the first revelation of what was done to me as a child came. I was sitting uh, in a coffee shop. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. At 10 o'clock, I had a meeting with a friend of mine who was CEO of a ministry focused on child sex trafficking. And I had been volunteering there because I knew that I had sexual abuse issues. You know, didn't know a lot of detail. I was sitting there, and I had my first flashback. I was wide awake. My eyes were open. What appeared before my eyes was a row of men's naked legs. 
It wasn't one. It was a row of them. And I gasped and said, oh, my God, I think I've been passed around. And I go in an hour later, and I sit with my friend, and I got tears running down my eyes, and I'm telling her, and she goes, oh, Mark, I've known. And I've known for a long time. A co-worker. No, this is a lady who ran a ministry focused on child sex trafficking. And I'd just been trying to volunteer there. My PTSD was so severe. And I'm I'm convinced um, that preceded... It's it's funny when if God gives you a prophetic gift or whatever, you know, you have to speak. And for somebody who is abused as a child, one of the things that's stolen is your voice. And so I really do believe that God used... You know, it's kind of like redeeming. It's God redeeming something, restoring what the locusts have eaten, but using it for good. That was the revelation. You know, I saw the, I had the flashback. I saw the row of men's naked legs and the revelation that had been passed around. And I knew, and by the way, I knew it was my father. That was, um, that was responsible. Involved. Yeah, mm-hmm, that was responsible. And um, uh, part of the reason I knew that is I did have a dream back in 2000. So the flashback happened in 2013. And in 2000, I had a dream. I didn't really, uh, God was drawing me, but I, I was not at the place to think of it as anything more than a dream. And in this dream, I was a toddler in a crib. I was the toddler. I was experiencing it in a crib. Arms and legs were up, and a male figure moved over me, moved over me and fondled me. And I recognized it as my father. And I jerked awake, and the sensation going through my body was what I would have experienced as a child. It was like sexual stimulation, but no understanding of it. There's no kind of adult awareness or, you know, of anything like that. So there's no understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That experience um, where I was in the coffee shop was in September, so that November... um, God had me go home. I, I felt like he was telling me to go baptize a relative who was on life support. And um, talked to my pastor about it, and he prayed over me and, you know, gave me the Methodist hymnal, which in the back of it has the words for baptism of an infant, you know, that mm-hmm. can't respond. And we prayed about it, and so I made arrangements to go home. I did that. I'd stay with my father and his wife. And before we went to do that, uh, to baptize my relative, I, God was just on me, and I told my father and my brother about the dream of being fondled in a crib, but I did not tell who the person was. And, you know, I could see the wall just, you know, go down. Um, on your dad? Oh, yeah. On your brother? Not my brother. I could see the wall just go down, you know, with my father. Mm. And, you know, we left there, and I drove my car, met him to baptize my relative because the connection was through him. And I remember before we go back there to see my uh, relative, we were sitting in whatever wedding area and whatever, and I looked up, and I have never seen a more sinister look from another human being my wife's very insightful again i said she, she was a missionary so the holy spirit's with her and she goes mm-hmm. she goes he was telling you that he knows that you know and there's nothing you can do about it you know i would not have put two and two together like that but the 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 sinister 
I mean, it was just, you know, evil. You know, I'm dealing with all that. Later that day, I leave where I was. I go 30, 30 miles down the road. I'm spending the night with my mother and her husband. We got to de- dinner, eat, eat dinner that night. And I'm miserable. You know, I've just confronted my father. Mm-hmm. And I have very vague, you know, I haven't even accused him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But he knows what I've done. I'm sitting there in a restaurant, and I'm just, it's just awful. I'm, you know, it, the Holy Spirit just very quickly and quietly, I was just miserable. And the words come in my mind and my spirit. Judgment cometh. And I get out my phone and I Google judgment cometh, but I added words of a prayer that I had been saying for two years, but had not uh, even known that they were in the Bible. I Googled judgment cometh, what is hidden will be made known. And it immediately. Every lie will be revealed. Every lie will be That's revealed. That's what Lynn Wood has been saying almost yes. every single day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what it pulled up was it went immediately and pulled up Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. The judgment of the Lord cometh, what is hidden will be made known. Mm. Both good deeds and evil deeds will be brought into the light. Mm. I kid you not. And um, so that was, you know, God helped. I know. God helping me kind of through that experience. God had to, every time he would reveal something, he would both precede it and afterwards there'd be some type of uh, encounter with him. To keep me going because the darkness was so dark. So the following year, you know, got through the holiday season. I separated from my father, wrote him a letter and separated from him. And there's a whole story around that, but don't have that much time. Were you pretty explicit in your letter about what you knew? And, and No. Oh, okay. No. Because I didn't, I didn't fully know stuff. Mm. It was just stuff you saw. In you know, well, yeah. I, I, I will tell you this. At Christmas, the, you know, when the... When the Bible says, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, sometimes it's the truth of what someone else says. And that's why, you know, it's important to tell your story and to tell components of it in the right place with the right people. It may be something that sets someone else free, someone else free. And so I was talking with my mom and, you know, I'm just, I was just tormented by this stuff and asking her, you know, what do you remember? And this, and finally my mom, you know, comes out of denial or whatever. She's like age 71 at the time. I'm th- well, not 71. I don't know what she was, early 70s. She said, you know, I always thought that when you were conceived that your father raped me. That was six weeks after my sister was born breech under an Air Force base with no anesthesia and no episiotomy. In other words, she shouldn't have been having sexual relations for probably six months. And that's when I was able to forgive my mother. Because after that conversation, I googled, what happens to a mother who keeps the child of a rape? And it said the best that they can do typically is ambivalence. Love the child of your body, hate the child of your rapist. And it didn't matter if it was a marital rape or stranger Hmm. rape that typically the feeling is the same. So I was able to, because my mother was very cold growing up, and I was able to actually, finally when I understood that, I was like, that woman slept with her rapist. Mm. All those years afterwards. I mean, my father didn't leave her till I was 18. I'm like, for God's sakes, no wonder she was very cold, mm-hmm. you know. Until you actually get into the ministry and field where you're dealing with people who are survivors of sexual abuse or they've been trafficked or prostituted and things like that. You know, it's literally called, you know, a breakdown. 
when a pimp, you know, they usually will start to supposedly date, and I say that in question marks, you know, a prostitute, and then all of a sudden, you know, they'll send them on their first trick with a friend or whatever, and then they take the money. Well, what they'll do to bring them under subjugation is they will violently rape them, violently rape them, where they've thought that they've, you know what I mean, that they... The, the the woman would have thought that so-and-so was her boyfriend, only to find out that she's been seduced into a, you know, a life of prostitution and now is too terrorized to get out. You know, I had some empathy for my mom and was able to begin to forgive. The following year, there were two. These are memories coming back as nightmares, and I'll tell you the first one. It, this is so outlandish, but um, I'll tell you what Jesus told me about it in this room and there's a group of men around me and I'm laying on my back and it's like I'm giving birth like something's being but it's being pulled out of my bottom and I see a baby like I literally see a infant a male infant and he the the way I described it you know after kind of waking up and being really kind of traumatized by it he looked like he was alive, but he, he almost looked like he had a spirit of death on him, like a veil or something. It, it wasn't like a regular veil, which is, I don't even know how to describe it. Alive, but something covering him in a way, although it wasn't anything physical that was covering him. And I had counseled um, with a lady who did um, inner healing basically you invite jesus into a traumatic memory mm, restoring the foundations yeah. yeah all that kind of stuff and uh, well gestalt's more like i think you're talking to a little child in you or something i could be wrong i don't know i'm not a psychologist and i only had like <laughs> one psychology class in college so i don't know but um but anyway you invite jesus into a traumatic memory you know, you're not back in the past. You know, you're not sitting, seeing him sitting there eating a bag of Cheetos, you know, where everything goes down. It's bad. That's kind of the first objection to something like that. You're basically, you have to know when you're doing this that you're inviting him into a memory. And it's what he does is he reframes, and God will do it. He'll tell the truth of what actually was going on. Now, this is, I'm married, you know, I've been out of the gay life for a long time, so I invite him into that memory of that dream a few days later once I had a chance to calm down and I'm like you know I'm placed myself and I'm you know I'm laying on my back and I'm like Lord where are you I'm laying on my back but I'm also an observer and I see Jesus and he comes down and he squats down and he puts his you know mouth beside my ear to whisper something in my ear now this is how you know that I could not have come up with this and I'm like, Lord, where are you? I get an idea of where he is. And I say, do you have a word for me? And he says, you're not female. The very basis, being sexually abused, raped, passed around as a small child, your view of reality, you don't have one. Mm. I mean, does that make sense? Including your own view of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, what is a small child supposed to believe? Mm-hmm. What are you going to believe about yourself? But here's the kicker. A year later... I asked Jesus back into that dream, but this time I was focusing on the little baby. And I'm like, Lord, where are you? And I see Jesus holding the little boy. Do you have a word for me? Here's where it gets squirrely. <laughs> he said, it was very quick. He was alive. He wasn't yours. You didn't hurt him. You didn't kill him. 
you have to let that one sink in for a minute. Because if he's telling me that, then I believed contrary to that. That he was mine. That you gave birth to a baby. That I gave birth to a baby, and then I hurt him, and then I killed him. So you have to kind of sit with that for a minute. Now, the preface of that, I'll tell you, and you'll, you'll things will start to kind of come together in a second. That the month after that dream of supposedly, you know, giving birth to a baby, I have a dream, and this time I'm an observer, and I see this dark room. There's a child's coffin on a table, and the lid of the coffin is up, and I see myself as maybe a five-year-old little boy, and I'm naked, and I'm underneath the table, and I've got my hands up, grabbing, grabbing around the edge, and I say, get away from me, I'm screaming, get away from me, get away from me, don't touch me. Well, about a, a year before that, I was counseling, a guy was uh, a counselor of mine, I said, I know there are things that are hidden. I say, I say, I can feel it in my brain, there are things that are hidden. And he would ask me, do you have a safe place in case memory comes back, a psychological safe place? And I said, it's the dark corner of a dark room, and I'm squatted down with my hands over my head. And he goes, well, that doesn't sound very safe. <laughs> and uh, so basically, you know, we didn't go really any deeper mm. on certain things. <laughs> By the way, I want to make this clear. None of the memories ever came back, flashbacks, anything, when I was ever seeing a counselor, ever. They were not aided in any way. I wasn't, you know, put into hypnotism or regression or whatever nonsense. Nothing like that. So I just want to, you know, make that clear. So in this dream, like I said, I'm grabbing hold to the bottom of that table. I'm a little boy underneath it. I'm naked, screaming, get away from me, get away from me, don't touch me. And what's the next scene? I run to the dark corner of a dark room and I squat down with my hands over my head. The next scene, I look up, and I see two men in robes and hoods, and I see lit candles. And the last scene, I see the row of men's naked legs that I saw in the flashback. So then I'm seeing the context, you know what I mean, of the flashback, that there's much more to it, that it was part of a ritual. Yeah, it's very raw, you know, with God. I was like, I'm losing my blank, 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 blank mind. I'm losing my blank, 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 blank mind. I'm, you know, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. You know, I kept, you know, I'm crazy. You know, I would tell him. And I kept feeling him and going, no, you're not. No, you're not. You know, things kind of progress. I was speaking with a new friend uh, where we moved to, and this lady was a, a retired uh, United Methodist pastor. She got her MDiv from Duke and uh, spent four years at the Institute of Pastoral Counseling. So she was a, a licensed pastoral counselor. And she, and she had a business where we moved to, and I would talk with her. We're just friends and stuff. And I'm, it's the first time I think I'd ever told somebody outside of my wife and my pastor, a couple of different pastor friends that I'd told, because uh, I was afraid to. I just sounded crazy. I was like, you know, I was just trying to do a little bit of reality testing to see if anybody would believe me. And I tell my friend, I said, you know, whatever her name is, I'll call her Mary. It wasn't Mary, but I said, Mary, I said, I've been having these nightmares and flashbacks, and it's like, you know, men in robes and hoods and things that were done to me. And she stops me mid-sentence, and she goes, let me ask you a question. Was your father a Shriner? And I said, no, he was a Mason, a Freemason. She goes, and she goes, mm-hmm. 
That's it. And another friend, I had made another friend up in this new place we were living, and this guy was a realtor friend, just, you know, country guy, good fellow. Um, and I began to tell him a little bit about, I said, you know, we'll say his name's, you know, Eddie. I'm like, Eddie, you know, I've been having these kind of no, 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 no nightmares. I said, you know, it's just awful. It's like, you know, ritual, men in robes and hoods. I said, I, I think these things are memories coming back, nightmares. And he, he stops in mid-sentence and he goes, let me ask you a question. Is your father a Shriner? I said, no, a Freemason. He goes, mm-hmm. And it's like all of a sudden, and the more, you know, once I got into ministry and you start talking, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like this whole world of Christianity knows this. Knows it. Absolutely knows it. And knows the organization. Now, there are many organizations probably, you know, obviously the Catholic priesthood. But, you know, or elements of it. But I had no idea. I'm kind of researching a little bit, and I find out, and I'm like, holy moly. You know, my great-grandfather was one of, I don't know, three men that authorized the building of the Masonic Temple in the town that I was raised in. Now, you got to get this. This is not a lodge. It's a temple. Mm-hmm. And it's not a church. We don't have sacrifices in church. Mm. The sacrifice has been made. Temple is an Old Testament term, term you know? Mm. It's where sacrifices... It's a pagan term. It, well, you know, it's where for, sacrifices for are made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's where sacrifices yeah. are made. And then I come to find out, our next-door neighbor, this is so bizarre, our next-door neighbor was the former grandmaster of Freemasons, and I'm like, holy blank. <laughs> Just the yeah. the fact that our land connected. Mm. There have been multiple confirmations, multiple confirmations. You know, I've met three others that have been ritually abused through the same organization. I don't. I don't have um, a lot of plain memories. Mine come back as I'll have a flashback. I have nightmares. I used to have body memories where I could just be reliving what was going on, feeling things, and I would just be miserable, you know, crying out, you know, to God, you know, do something to help me. And I will tell you a miracle story, and this was 2016. So I'd come a long ways. I mean, I had, I was, you know, God had done miracles, even to the point of I was just so, I was, I mean, I was a Christian, and I was afraid of hell. And I was like, why can I not overcome this? Mm. Why? Why, why? It was a Wednesday night service at our church, and I went up to one of the more elders, and he was a wonderful man, and I just told him, I kind of broke down sobbing and crying and da-da-da-da and this kind of stuff. And he prayed for me, and the next day, um, I'm sitting in my office, and I decide, okay, I'm just going to journal a conversation with God. And I'm journaling, talking to Jesus. And so I'd say, I'd be talking, and I'd say, I'd write Jesus' name, and I'd let Jesus talk. I'm not lying to you. Every word was love, 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 love. I mean, I'm not that nice to myself. It wasn't me. And then all of a sudden, I mean, God's presence is there, and it's what you read about John Wesley his at Aldersgate where his heart 
was warmed. I literally felt my heart warm. And for the first time in my life, I felt like my mind, body, soul, everything was connected. Mm. I mean, it was, I didn't want to come out of that. Mm. 30 minutes later, I had a conference call. I was, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> you know, I did well on the conference call, though. <laughs> and it's because I was very, you know, I was you like. in reality. I was in reality, but I was also, I was not disassociating. I mean, I can still disassociate. There are things that can, you know, um, if I get startled too much, I can. I mean, I'm not like often, I don't like go into another, you know, false reality or anything. But I can sense the sense of separation, you know, within myself. Uh, So God's still, you know, working on that. But that was on a Thursday. That weekend, as you can imagine, the battle with the devil was awful, and I was just miserable. And Sunday morning, this is Father's Day, 2016, Sunday morning, and it's important you'll get this story. Um, I was miserable at 6 o'clock in the morning, and my wife laid hands on me and said, Father, please sovereignly deliver Mark. And we got up. She got in the shower. I go in the kitchen, and I was like, God's going to sovereignly deliver me today. As in, I knew it. Mm. I mean, I knew it. There was this, pre- pre- it's, it's almost like a prevenient grace. It was God supernaturally gave me the faith for that, that day. We go to church. It's Sunday school time or whatever. We walk in. I see uh, one of the older uh, retired pastors there. He's, he's really, you know, funny guy. Got hearing aids, can't hear worth a hoot. <laughs> and I go up and, you know, I'm saying, um, we'll just, you know, um, call him Harry, whatever. I'm like, Harry? I said, do you have a minute to talk? And he said, yeah, let's go in, you know, the pastor's office. And we go in and close the door. And I'm like, Harry, the Lord told me he's going to deliver me today. And as soon as I said that, I was thrown on the floor thrown on the floor. I was wide awake, did not lose consciousness, was not having an epileptic seizure, but my arms and legs, I was thrashing around. My pastor runs in there, another friend of mine, and those uh, three men, now these are good, long-term Pentecostal believers. They're not believing that stuff like this isn't real. And they know how to handle it. And they're praying and they're, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, praying in tongues or whatever. It went on for like an hour and I was drenched in, I was like drenched in sweat. An I hour? Had, an hour. Ooh. And I even, I even like took my shirt off. I had my undershirt on, you know, just because I was drenched. And uh, at the very end of it there, you know, the pastor was like, do you, you feel like you're okay? I go, no, because I was sitting in a chair and literally, my bottom just slid out from under me onto the floor. I was not in control, fully in control of myself. Mm. And, but I was not totally out of control of myself either. And finally at the end, my pastor said, lay on your stomach, put your hands out forward, and tell Jesus that you totally surrender to him. And I did that, and my pastor got down next to my ear, and he said, spirit of Satan worship. Come out of him in Jesus' name. Mm. My body went rigid. 
I belched and I sat up and I said, they told me they would send me to hell if I told what they did to me. Wow. That's why. Now, here's the deal. Wow. They do that through the ritual, the satanic ritual abuse. They do that so that the child will never, never be able to be Christian. Never. Wow. I still, at times, I don't try to imagine God the Father. It don't work for me. I go to Jesus. I talk to God the Father, but I, ain't, I haven't, you know, I try to climb in his lap, but that ain't working for me. You know what I mean? I go to mm-hmm. Jesus. Jesus talks to me. I talk to God the Father. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I can't. You mean there's like still even, still there's, there's a, healing. There's still, a, yeah. there's a, best I can do is imagine being on a park bench with him. And I might put my head in his lap and we'll talk a little bit. That's about as, that's about as good as that gets. There are, listen, there are other revelations and things. Um, God clearly, you know, I had the Gestalt experience where God woke me up and had me talk to the little me, where there's a little me in you that you literally have to talk to like you're five years old, but you're the adult. So you're not, you don't have multiple personalities. You know what I mean? You're just different parts of your person. You know, and by the way, this occurred after I did a television interview. And it was a television interview where it was the first time I'd ever said on the television interview that I was passed around as a child. And that took a lot. You know, I mean? even though it was Christian television for me to actually say that, because it's Christian television. You know, that's a lot of viewers. Mm-hmm. And I've been praying, 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 do I put that television interview on the social media that I was on on for a professional perspective? And I was like, you know, there are people I'm connected to in there that are from my hometown. If they get that, they're going to know what, you know. And finally, you know, God was very clear. It just came. He said, your story deserves to be heard. Mm, Amen. And it deserves to be believed by those who have ears to hear. Mm. And so that was like on a Friday night. I wake up around 5 o'clock to use the bathroom. I come back. And it was clear as a bell, and just the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and it was, now it's time for his story to be heard. And I knew he was talking about me as a little boy. And I go out in the den, and I sit there, and I talk to him, and I'll tell you this. You know, and you're, it's like you're talking to a five-year-old. You're not going to have an adult conversation. You know, that part of me felt comfortable, not agitated and afraid, whatever. And, it, you know... Uh, do you want to talk about what they did to you? And he was me. I was okay as a little boy. And the first thing he said was they stuck me with pins. And the adult me is like, uh, no, I know that's needles. I'm not sure, you know, did they drug me? You know, I don't really know. Um, I believed, you know, when I was having the experience that, um, as an adult, having this experience that, yeah, they did something to drug me. And it's then that I, and I'd already realized this, but everything that I did in the gay world, everything almost was a repeat in terms of the abuse of my, I mean, I'm talking about, it was, there, you know, there's a point mm. when you're caught in that and that's your reality, is your delusion, that you're in, um, where you choose your abuser because you can, you're the one in control. Does that make sense? You choose your abuser, how they abuse you, when they abuse you. You might think that it's love because that's all you know, 
or and what the, you, and because you received it from someone you received that abuse where you should have been receiving love where I should and and your yes and part of the brainwashing and here it is the brainwashing and the mind control you know what I mean is to believe being taught that it's some form of love you know you want to control a child the worst thing you can do I mean the molest them because you condition their body to respond to stimulus and you do it over and over and over and over and they become conditioned like your household pet you know what I mean with a reward or whatever it it awakens that you know that part of your brain that reward system and area in your brain and then what happens you're sexually bonded it's sexual bond, betrayal bond, trauma bond to your abuser. Hmm. You know what I mean? So I didn't have any freedom. So when Jesus came in back in 2001, as hellish as that whole experience was, and I had this horrible, whatever you want to call it, you can call it breakdown or whatever, but it was really reality setting in. I had really hit rock bottom, and I was you know, very close to you know, thinking about taking my own life. And... Um, but I do remember that, but I do know this. It's the first time I could choose life ever mm. because I knew when I really hit rock bottom, I knew Jesus it was who he said he was. I knew who he was. didn't know what he had done for me. I knew who he is. I knew the new age stuff was a bunch of bull. I knew the gay stuff was a bunch of crap. And I knew that um, I had a spiritual enemy. That the devil was real. You know, I like to walk around our property and pray, and I've been doing that a lot for the country and stuff, too. And the other day, I just felt, you know, I try to listen to the Lord. Like, what do you pray? I just tend to pray what comes to my mind. And one was um, casting out the spirit of evil out of our country. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, everything everything mm-hmm. in your story, I don't know what everybody else heard, but, I mean, Black Lives Matter, the the uh, is, which is an LGBT communist mm-hmm. satanic movement i mean mm-hmm. like this whole year has been yes. what you're talking about yeah. wide open on, on yeah and that's yeah. the that's yeah. the deal that's the deal it well it's christ and antichrist mm-hmm. now i'm not saying there's the antichrist with the big a but it's the antichrist spirit yeah. you know what i mean it's christ antichrist those are the two competing realities christ and antichrist and everything that you would see in a christian church there's the counterfeit of it in the kingdom of darkness, and that includes the body and the blood. It most certainly does. You know, so that's, um, you know, and people don't want to believe that, but let me tell you what, when Freud was counseling, it was typically women, you know, back in his day, and he found that the vast majority of them had been sexually abused. So he takes that information to his whatever association of psychologist or wherever it was, where Geneva, Switzerland, I don't know where he was, somewhere in Europe. And they all pretty much drummed him out of the room. And so that's when he came up with his theories of Oedipus complex and Electra complex and this and that and this and that, because nobody wanted to believe that children were being sexually abused at that level. You know what I mean? So that whole, you know, theory and psychological, a lot of that psychological theory and stuff came out of a reaction that this cannot be true. And I can tell you, the satanic ritual stuff, abuse is true because 
the devil doesn't have any new tricks. He doesn't have any. It's the same crap, and that's exactly what it is. Recycled and slap a new brand name on it, generation after generation, to the point that we think it's normal. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, abortion is not normal. God didn't give us the freedom to do that. I'm not talking about extreme health care cases. I'm talking about abortion as a means of birth control. There's nothing normal about it. You know, one of the things they did, I mean, they passed their children through the fire. So Mark's last words as we closed out that section were, they passed their children through the fire. So I, I cut off the recording at that point because we were just starting to get into talking about stuff. And and Mark's story was basically over. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I believe Mark's story is a personal story of a national major problem. And those last few words of Mark's puts that puts this in context right away, or it puts some context onto onto my claim. In this way, abortion is enormous. Millions and millions of babies have been murdered on the altar of convenience, on the altar of sexuality, of sexual license, and also on the altar of Satanism. Satanists actively pursue and advocate for the advancement of abortion practices. We have absolutely demonic policies in place. That is not an overstatement. In New York, where Andrew Como is, where you can murder your baby up to nine months. And, you know, like all abortion is equally bad. But when you can't really tell that it's a baby, if you haven't seen pictures, or when the baby comes out, you can't really make out that it's a baby or you never see it. You can be ex- be forgiven for thinking it wasn't a baby. But at nine months, there is no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. And we're willing to do this. There's blood on our hands. And that is going to come back. It is coming back to haunt us. But in a deeper way, I think Satanism is very much alive and well. Um, sometimes it's out in the open, just calling itself Satanism. And, and that's been on the rise. We have seen it openly practiced in 2020 throughout the year with the riots um, associated with Black Lives Matter and Antifa up in Portland. People were openly practicing Satanism. But this issue of Freemasonry is enormous. I live in the South, and all over the place um, I run into, uh, or I see, Masonic temples, and also being involved in many different churches throughout the years. As I also spoke on behalf of the persecuted church, I visited a lot of churches. As we travel, I visited a lot of churches. As I painted houses, I've worked in a lot of people's homes. Things like Masonic Bibles um, and membership um, in the Masonic Lodge and membership of the church overlapping abundantly. This is a huge issue, and we're going to talk about talk about this more next week um, because I think we need to address it. We've been praying for a revival. One of the things that has to happen in a revival is that the demons have to be cast out. This is a common story if you visit rehab centers, um, just people who do ministry, they know when Satan has a foothold in someone's life, you need to do two things. You need to, well, more than two things, but you need to renounce whatever it is that the demon has 
that you gave permission. It, we sin when we sin in our when we sin and embrace that sin. We are giving permission to the devil to have a foothold in our life. We have to renounce that. We have to repent of it. Then we need to cast the the demon out, revoke its uh, its permission to be in your life. But as the scriptures say, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The casting out is only part one. Part two is be filled with the Holy Spirit. And my prayer, which we're going to talk about more next week, is, uh, and what I'm working for, is a national exorcism. I believe that we have an abundance of demonic activity in our country right now, and I'm asking God to help us cast these demons out and then to fill our nation again with the Holy Spirit. And um, I believe it's going to happen, and I'm going to work to see that happen and pray to see that happen. And in the meantime, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And one of the new ways that you can share your thoughts with me is through our Telegram channel, which is a new social media platform that I found since leaving Facebook and moving away from YouTube. I really like it too, because we can have short conversations. I can see your comments uh, more easily. Um, Also get input into future podcast episodes, because we do have Um, episodes planned on Genesis coming up pretty quickly. And uh, so I want to get some of your thoughts on uh, questions that you have about Genesis and the age of the earth and stuff like that, as well as uh, current cultural issues related to Christianity, related to the mission, related to reading the Bible. Telegram is a great way to interact that way. The link for Telegram is in the podcast notes um, and also in the blog post. So Um, I encourage you to check out our website, thegospelforplanetearth.com. Be sure to subscribe there so that you will get every podcast and blog and music video and uh, vlog, which is our family ministry videos, right to your inbox um, every week. I'd also like to mention that if you have been a victim of ritual abuse or just abuse in general, sexual abuse particularly, um, there is ministry for you. Uh, recently, we did, uh, long before I knew I was going to have Park, Mark on the podcast, I had our friend Charles Young come on the podcast and share about his ministry, which specifically deals with people who have um, been abused ritually. Uh, but it also, it, it doesn't have to be that intense. All abuse is intense. All of it is traumatic. All of it is scarring. And Jesus can heal you of all of it. Um, So I encourage you to check that podcast out. We'll have a link to that particular episode, which was a a couple months back in the show notes below. You can also find it on our web page when you uh, click on the podcast, go to 2020, and you will find it there. I think it was roughly November when we did that. But Charles Young talking about healing the split parts of your personality. I'd love for you to do that, especially um, because that'll help me stay connected with you no matter what happens in the way of platforms being removed or people being deplatformed and such. Anyway, thank you for being with us. I trust and pray that this um, testimony today rocked you in a good way. Um, I love how it ends with the deliverance. And that is what we need to see, that no matter how big the monster is that we're facing, no matter how big the giant is, the Goliath, Jesus has already overcome the world. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. The war is won. The battles that are left are for the sake of us participating 
in the work of God, because we were created for good works in Christ Jesus. So think about that, pray about that, and then do those works in the coming week in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Without love, you ain't nothing. Without love, you ain't nothing. Without love.